Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Today, review for the final exam, which is for your class on Thursday. What is it, at 10.20? Oh, okay, 10.20, 10, something like that. Yeah, it's in your uh, veggie net, the time of it is. Um, it's two hours, and I will expend this time we have together one last time as a happy family, and uh, go through it, and then I'll have you ask questions. But first, one last look at the markets, which is part of the review for that final exam, to make sure one last time that you know some of the terminology uh, and how to read the numbers. First of all, this uh, I would ask if this is a bear or a bull day, but it's kind of a, a, a mixed bag. The Dow 30 is down a tiny, tiny bit. It's virtually, it's flat. The S&P 500, which had a little bit of life in it, is now tailing off. And the NASDAQ is, of course, as is often the case, it's doing the most, in this case going up by about three quarters of a percent. But it's kind of a mixed bag. Now make sure you understand, one last time, the difference between an exchange and an index. The NASDAQ is an actual exchange. It's not a physical platform, it's an electronic platform. But it is an exchange where many different stocks and bonds and exotica are traded. On the other hand, when you see a number, like the New York Stock Exchange, NYSC, that's an exchange. The uh, American Stock Exchange, Amex, that's an exchange. But when you see these numbers after it, that is an index. It is a theoretical portfolio of a certain number of stocks. Dow 30, that's 30 ginormous companies. And so the number that moves there is the overall average of the movement of the, partic of the participants, of the, of the components. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the S&P 500, that's 500 stocks in a portfolio. The Russell 2000, that's 2,000 stocks in a portfolio. And if you looked over here, if you look at these bourses, FTSC 100, that's 100 stocks on the London exchange. The Nikkei 225, that's 225 big stocks on the Tokyo exchange, or bourse, as it were. But as we can see, that today is just sort of a kind of a bullish day, but uh, not anything huge. Even though the Fed just pushed the discount rate above 5%, as you can see there, it, the market was already prepared for that to happen. It knew that was going to happen. So in other words, that's not going to cause anything, unless they had done something that was a surprise, that had already been impounded in prices days ago. Look at crude oil. It has plowed downward. It is now below 69 a barrel for the light sweet uh, bread. So uh, you should see gasoline prices go down a few pennies, but heaven knows. But as I, uh, as I had told you, that giant price that had been there a month or two ago, it just didn't hold. It's way down. Primarily, the supply of, of, of oil is great right now, and demand is very low, comparatively speaking. It's quite an interesting market. Now, going over here, the gold bugs are having an exciting day. They seem to think that the economic apocalypse is coming. It's popped up well above the $2,000 an ounce uh, neckline, and heaven knows what they're, what they're thinking. Anyway, the euro and the uh, British pound are both appreciating against the dollar. 
which would be the case if European interest rates and British interest rates are going up faster than US interest rates. Primarily, that would be what's causing this. So, and the yen is, which is backwards, it's appreciating too. So globally, the dollar is losing, uh, for, uh, losing uh, value against major currencies, the euro, the yen, and the pound. And that simply our interest rates are not moving up as robustly as theirs are, so our dollar is depreciating against those currencies. Now over here, if we look, interestingly enough, look at the bonds. The bond yields are down. And the price, the, so the prices are up. So there is buying in the bond market. And well, that there's also buying in equities too, which is kind of odd that both of them are up. Gold is up too. So maybe some money is coming off the sidelines here. But notice the bond yields are down, but the Fed just raised interest rates. Well, wouldn't they go up? Well, yes, but like I said, this the yields, uh, the interest rates going up was already expected. It's already been put into the prices days ago. So whatever's happening in the bond market now is the result of the bond market itself with new information. Now, interestingly, see how yields are going down, and also are the value of the dollar is depreciating. That would be a pretty normal thing to happen. Our, our interest rates are sliding against other interest rates. That will mean that the dollar's value goes down against the euro, the pound, the yen, and all of that. Over in Tokyo, they had a quiet day. We just kind of bobbled around near zero all day. And London wasn't any better. So there is, and you also see that here in our markets too, the equities market. It's, there's nothing spectacular. There's still an awful lot of just let's wait and see what happens next in all of these markets. Now, taking it over, let's look at a stock right now. Just so I can give you the screen so you can know one last time how to read them and how to interpret the numbers that you see swarming around there. Anyone got one that want to see? Don't say Tesla. Anything? Yeah. Uh, LMH. LHM. Oh, no, LMT. T. Okay. There we go. Down for the day. One share would cost you $455, so a round lot would cost you $45,558. We look here. Now, the bid is $455.12. So if you had Lockheed Martin and you wanted to sell it, you would get $455.12 per share. If you want to buy Lockheed Martin, you look at the ask. You would pay $456.19 a share. Now that's not, a, considering the price of the stock, that's a pretty tight bid-ask spread. And trading is actually not spectacular at all. Notice that it's only about half, well we still got a little left, time left in the day, but it's pretty quiet compared to the unbalanced volume, the OBV, for a typical day over the last year. So that represents still that the markets are awfully quiet. There is not a huge amount of activity going on right now. And there really hasn't this whole semester. Now if we look over here, moving over, is uh, Lockheed Martin a safe or a risky investment in a well-diversified portfolio? Safe. safe. It's actually quite safe. It's a huge company, first of all, and it is a company that makes weapons of war. And war is always going to be somewhere, and it gets exciting. And right now, there's, we're probably going to see a, a good fist fight develop over the next year. Uh, I'm not talking about Russia and Ukraine, I'm talking about the other side of the world. And so a company like this is always going to be profitable, and especially if the dogs of war are barking. And right now they are. PE ratio is below 30, so I'd say it's actually a little undervalued 
right now, a little undervalued. So it might be something to look at as maybe a buy. And it's the uh, P-E ratio. You take the earnings, uh, the price per share divided by the earnings. That's how you get to 20. So in other words, the price could go up some and it'd still be a little below 30. So in other words, it is undervalued right now. That's a simple analysis of it, obviously. But it's one that I even use a little bit myself. Okay, so it is a profitable company. <laughs> <coughs> Yeah, $20, 21, almost $22 per share. That's a profitable uh, company, yeah. Okay, and it pays a nice fat dividend. And as a matter of fact, its dividend is more per share is more than half of its earnings per share. So in other words, this company gets in a dollar that belongs to the shareholders at the net, net income line. It gives out more than half of that to the shareholders as a dividend. And then the remainder plows back into the company on behalf of the shareholders, hopefully to bring up the stock price. And uh, when is its uh, X dividend? When is our, their when are their earnings coming out? Oh, not for quite a while, July. So, okay. Now, last thing here is target price. Now, this is something that I could ask you on the exam is, okay, in a year, if they, if Yahoo, Yahoo Finance is right, what will be your total holding period return? Well, we can do this with a simple calculator. We can say, okay, first let's get the capital gain part of the yield. In other words, in a year, if Yahoo is right, it will, you can sell it for $509.24. Divided by, what did you pay for it? One year previously, $454.87. And then minus one, always minus one. So the capital gain part of the holding, annual holding return would be 11.95%. That's pretty darn good for a company with a beta of 0.67, but we're not done because you'll also get a dividend yield as well. And fortunately, these screens tell you the dividend yield is just the dividend divided by the price you paid, but they give it to you, it's 2.62%. So we're going to add 0 0.0626 for the dividend yield to the capital gain yield, so your total holding period, in this case annual return, off LMT is expected to be 14.57%. That's not bad at all. I mean, the beta is low. Normally, you get better returns if you're taking more risk. Here, we've got a pretty darn safe stock that's still going to deliver a pretty good punch for a holding period of a year. If you can afford $454.87 a share, which I don't know if you can or not, but there you go. So I'll, I would, and also notice your market cap. The market cap is the price per share times the number of shares outstanding. So in other words, you take $454.87 a share times however many shares this company has outstanding, and you get a 115, almost a $116 billion company. We would characterize that as a large cap company, as opposed to like a small cap, something you'd see on the NASDAQ. But that's a big ass company. Uh, and interestingly, it's not as big as some these days. Yeah? Target. Well, this is what we expect that price to be in a year. That's the target price there. But other than that, that's about the only place I brought it up. Later, I'll bring up the term target, but it'll be in a completely different context from this. Yeah. That's capital gain. That that's your total holding period return. Total holding period return. 
That, by the way, is the same term they use in the book, total holding period return. Now, (coughs) because I use projections for one year, you could also call that the total annual return because your holding period is one year. And what formula did you say we should use for total holding period return? Again, you take the target estimate price, 509, divided by 450, the current price. One year price divided by the current price minus one. And then you add to that the dividend yield. That point, that point zero two six two, that gives you the total. And that's good for just a quick question on it, just calculator kind of question. One of your quantitatives. Okay, now time to get down to the meat of the review. I'm going to pull up, well, I'll let you see the final exam here. No, I won't. Uh, Let me pull it up so I don't forget something. I I told the last class there are 12 quantitative questions. And uh, I'll be hanged if I went through, there were 11, and I thought, I know I counted 12. Of course, what I forgot was the one that was this holding period return. So there are 12 of them. Now let me go through the uh, fundamentals, the, the basics of the exam with you once again. Bear with me one moment here while I crank this up. Okay, final exam is approximately 60 questions. I'm a little vague on that because there are a couple that are one question, but there are different parts to it, like a matching part would have like five, it'd be one question, but five pieces to it. So overall, it's about 60 questions of varying values. Yes? No, 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 I'm counting. One to one through sixty. Yeah. So it could be like sixty-five. About sixty-five overall, but some of them are just sort of like different parts of the same question. Now you are permitted two six four by six note cards, front and back. Use your use your space uh, diligently because there's a lot to put on those. You can also use that financial analysis formulas PDF. You can print it out and use that. Don't put anything else on it, really. Um, excuse me. <coughs> you also you can use a physical or a virtual calculator. And you can use Excel. Now I've got, I have put up in ReggieNet, in the resources tab, four or five different spreadsheets. If you know how to use those, you, it will take you no more than 30 seconds to get some of the numerical problems answered. It's right there in those sheets. Just crank, just put the numbers in and your answers come out. The critical thing though is you have to know how to use Excel to be able to do this. And this is very much like your workplace environment is going to be with what are called templates. You don't mess with the formulas in a lot of cases. You just put the numbers in the right place. If you put them in the wrong place, all kinds of sad things happen. But use Excel, okay? It will help you a lot with this, with this final exam. Speed it up. Now, what else? Oh, and that, as far as other study guides go, use that list of terms. That, I, that 116 different terms. Now the things that are kind of like exotica, probably not worry about, but there are a lot of fundamental 
terms in that sheet that you should know very well. Have those down in your mind. And if I and after this part, uh, after I talk, I'm going to say, are there any of those terms? Don't give me a pile of them, but if there's one or two that you don't recognize right away, uh, by all means, you can ask that during this review, after I've said what I have to say. Okay, down to the meat. In not, well, in some order, but not in a particularly well-designed order, make sure you know fundamental facts about finance and about corporations. The difference between the residual claim holders and the prior claim holders. In other words, stocks versus uh, uh, stocks versus bonds. Stockholders versus debt holders. Make sure you know the basics of uh, for example, how a corporation is created. Articles. Uh, is a corporation, do you file articles of incorporation with the federal government? True or false? You file your articles of incorporation with the federal government. What do you say? You're shaking your head. Say it. False. False. You file it with the state. Corporations are state entities. You're domestic in the state in which you incorporate. You're foreign in all other states. What, it, what do you get right after you have had your articles of, uh, of incorporation qualified by the Secretary of State of the State of Incorporation? What comes next? What do you get? Got it? Anyone? Well, that's the FEIN, the Federal Employer Identification Number. The articles, the qualified articles are the birth certificate of the corporation and the, comes after that, the, uh, the uh, essentially the FEIN is the social security number of the corporation. That is a federal identifier, just like the social security number is a federal identifier. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Sinuses, these allergies are killing me. Okay, now, um, okay, now, in kind of the same realm, a corporation may or may not decide to go public. Do you remember what form a big corporation would use to have the have the right to sell stock to the public? What form they use? Yeah? S1. Form S1. And lower versions of that are the form SB, small business one or SB2. Yes. Now, make sure that you know, for example, the uh, typical forms, the 8K. Once you, are, once you have gone public, you must file the forms that are required as needed. 8Ks, 10Qs, 10Ks. Make sure you know those. And what are the, what markets, for example, uh, would the different securities laws address? The Securities Act of 1933, that's primary markets. Securities Act of 1934, that's secondary markets. Make sure you know those. They're, they're useful to know for an exam. Okay. Let me think here. Now there's a lot of just definition terminology. If you got that list down, you've easily got half of the exam pretty much covered with the words and terms and knowing what they mean. Like I said, some of them are pretty arcane, but a lot of them, they're the basics of what we need you to know to get out of this class successfully. And that includes uh, some basic terms for, uh, well, one part. Make sure you know the difference between accounting and finance. 
at a large scale level, accounting is all about, well, everyone looks at financial statements because there the goal is the net income of the company or the earnings as it were. What is the, what is the final line called that in finance we care about? What is it? We'll say it. Bingo, free cash flow. That's what we care about in finance, free cash flow. Going further in the, that, in, a, in accounting, revenue. Well, in finance, that's not really as important as how much you actually took in. At a at one of my shows, I can put, I can say, I sold, rev, I had revenue of four thousand dollars, but if all of all but two hundred dollars of that was credit, then my accounts receivable went up by thirty eight hundred. So what I really care about is four thousand minus three thousand eight hundred. Because all I pulled in in cash that gets me back home is $200. That's why even the revenue line is not for accountants the same it is, as it is for us in finance. Going down to costs. Make sure you know what costs are important to accountants that we don't care about. One of those would be obviously, historical cost. Accountants live by what they report as a historical cost, and we don't give a rat's ass about it. Another one in that same regard is the accountants are going to write down book value. We don't care about book value of an asset. Do you know what the value is? It's not book value. What's the value we care about of an asset? Yes, but there's another term. That's good. I, I don't want to cut you down. You got it. But we, we use the term replacement cost. Replacement cost. Because that's what you're going to... If that machine, machine breaks, well, the book value... No, you're going to pay whatever the replacement cost is going to be. And that's going to be I, almost always, especially with inflation, that's going to be a jolly lot more than the uh, book value on it. But, but it says that we, this, this machine's worth only $1,000. What do you mean $25,000? Well, that's what you're going to pay, isn't it, Cupcake? Okay? So, and then, of course, in finance, we care about, we don't care about sunk costs. In other words, what you've already paid. Even if it was two minutes ago, that's over. That's gone. It has, should have no impact on your future, on your decisions now. You've already uh, done that. What we care about are replacement costs, obviously. We care a lot about opportunity cost. And also, just in general, in the large picture, future expected costs. Yeah. This is for finance, yes. Okay, so there's going to be a cluster, a small cluster of questions where we make sure that when you come out of here, you do know that finance and accounting are really different in fundamental ways of thinking. Okay, make sure you know the, the, know the relationship between risk and return and all that kind of good stuff. Now that ratio sheet, as I've said before, I'm not impressed if you can calculate a ratio because Standard Poor's Global Net Advantage can give you more ratios than you would ever even care for. What I care about is do you understand how the formulas, what they tell us, a number in those formulas. If return on assets, if your assets go up, what happens to ROA? Uh, inventory turnover ratio. If uh, your number, if your revenues go up, 
or your cost of goods sold goes up or something like that. That's what we care about. If you uh, reduce your accounts receivable, what does that do to your current ratio? If inventory goes down, what does that do to your account, uh, your uh, quick ratio, your asset test? Well, it doesn't affect it because you're subtracting out inventory anyway in that ratio. Make sure that you understand the workings of the formulas. So in other words, you've got your sheet, look at it and say, okay, he said this happens. What is that? The numerator, denominator, what does that do to the number? Oh, mother's work is never done. Make sure you know the formula for the interest rates. You know, risk-free rate plus the, uh, plus the risk premium. What's in each piece. All that good stuff. For the interest rate. Risk, interest rate equals risk-free rate plus risk premium. Well, the risk-free rate has two pieces to it. And the risk premium has three pieces to it. So make sure you understand what those pieces are and what they do. Um, make sure you understand idea concepts like liquidity, how that's connected to intrinsic value, those kinds of things. Whoa. An idea like, okay, your wages payable went up. What is, in and of itself, what does that do to free cash flow? Careful. I didn't pay you what I said I paid you. So what does that do to, that makes it go up. Because I said I paid you, but I didn't. So I saved myself some cash for Denny's. Grand Slam breakfast plus pie afterward. Obviously, things like bills, bonds, notes, understand what they are. Capital structure, optimal capital structure. These are more definitional kinds of concepts. Even technical things like, what is the internal rate of return? Well, that's the discount rate that makes net present value zero. Hmm. Obviously risk, risk and return relationship, systematic versus non-systematic risk. As I've said this before and I'll say it again those quizzes that I've given you through the semester excellent material for, uh, for an exam always yeah yes you yes you do they should all all well let me qualify I should check quiz 8 but the correct answers should be showing on all of them Matter of fact, I can do something real quick right here. Quiz eight. I may not have, let me just do that while I'm thinking about it. I'm looking at quiz five, I can see it. Well, I might have forgotten one. Okay, let me look at quiz five now. See if quiz five. Oh, I remember why I had a student who was in the hospital and I had to pull the key. Yeah, I see it. It's back on now. Yes, I forgot. Apologies. I forgot I had to pull the key for a little, for a few days and I forgot to put it back on. But that should be all of them. Let me check. 
feedback? Yep. I think that's all of them now. Yeah. Yeah. Let me check. It should be, but you know, Lord knows when you when you're declining into your sunset years, as I am. Uh, grading and feedback. Yeah, it's there. It's there. Answer key is there. And those are excellent resources, especially the midterm, because obviously, as I've said before, there were objective course objectives that I hit there. I'll probably do something like a copy and paste, change some words, scramble the order, and you'll get it again. The numeric questions, I don't try to throw curveballs at you. The wording I've used once is the wording I'll use again. And all you have to know is how to extract the numbers to get to the answer. Now let me, um, let me do something here. Uh, I'm going to go, I will, allow me to go through the numerical questions. There should be 12. Let's see if I can get all 12 this time. I had 11, I, I, I already said, I counted 11, and then I thought, oh, I forgot that I had already talked about the one with finding the total holding period return. So let's go through the rest of the meat grinder. I really should just put up the final exam so you can see it. Okay, first things first. You'll have a present value and a future value. Question. Two separate questions? Yes. Well, they'd have to be. Now remember, if for a present value, well, you're going to get this much next year, this much the year after that, etc. Find the present value. Now, future value Remember that the key there is that when you do it on your calculator, you have to put in key begin. That always, that my problems always begin with starting today, you put, let's say, $100 into the bank every month. How much, uh, how much will be in the account one month after your last payment in 20 years? Something like that. It's just a classic TVM problem. N is the number of periods. If it's weeks, it's weeks times a year. If it's months, it's months times a year. Month, uh, 52 time, if it's weeks, 52 times the number of years. If it's months, 12 times the number of years. Semi-annually, two times the number of years. So the N and then the I percent is whatever the APR is divided by the number of periods per year. So if I say you've got, you're putting money into an account that pays 4%, if it's monthly, you would key 4 divided by 12. If, you're, if it's weekly, you'd put 4 divided by 52. And then for the, you jump over the PV because that's what you're trying to find. And then you key in what your payment is, how much you're putting in every month, and also leave FV alone, uh, leave PV alone because you're, leave PV alone, uh, put it at zero because if this is a future value problem, there's no kicker. And then make sure that your doubt, that toggle at the bottom is on begin. And then you take it back up to FV and alpha solve and there's your future value. This one is actually easier to do on your calculator than it is in Excel. If, because you have to know the whole formula for PVs and FVs and all that kind of pain in the butt. Okay. So, let, let, me, let me do my count here. The holding period return, future value, present value. Okay. I'll have you do a loan payment and the effective rate. Mortgage loan, car loan. You've seen it before. It's a fast, dirty calculation on your calculator. So you'll have a loan payment and an effective rate. That's five. Try to keep my count here. Okay. Now you'll have a bond price and a bond yield question. Just like you had on the quiz. And you've got a practice in your resources for it.
you'll have an internal rate of return and a, pre a net present value and an internal rate of return. That makes nine. Mike, you think? Yeah? No, no, no. No MIRRs. No. I don't even like MIRRs. I think they're still, uh, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig called an internal rate of return. So no, there will not be that. Net present value. You're trying to make me lose my count, aren't you? I think I was, yeah, go ahead. You know, they're actually, Excel is pretty fast. If you just give it the cash flows in one column and then just say equals IRR and then highlight that whole cash flow, boom, there's your Uncle Bob. It's pretty fast there. In, a, in the calculator, you would call up Apps Finance and the eighth selection is IRR. And you'd put in the cash flow there. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. I, now that I think about it, Excel is probably a little faster, I guess. And you can make uh, change the numbers faster and all that. Yeah. Okay, I was at nine, right? Okay. Okay, I'm going to have you do a one where you find a whack. Weighted average cost of capital. It won't be one where you calculate the component costs. I'll do it like I did before where you can use your, there's an Excel spreadsheet. I'll give you what each cost is and the market value of each component and then you do the whack from there. The only caution I have is be careful with the bond because I'll give you the coupon of the bond but that's not what we use. We use the yield to maturity so I'll be bluffing you with a number. And don't forget to take it after taxes. So if I give you the yield to maturity is 5.82%, then you would take for the calculation 5.82 times 1 minus 0.21. Don't forget to do that. That's 10. And the 11th one, I've got it up there on the board, you'll find uh, a uh, current intrinsic price of a stock using the horizon value technique. You'll find the current intrinsic price of a stock using the horizon value technique. So I put this one up here. Let's take it through the grinder so that you can see it in practice one more time. Let me kill this here. And I'm going to bring up my calculator. Okay, we have a company. In year one, it's going to pay a dividend of $1.25. Year two, it cuts it back to a dollar. Year three, excuse me, it's going to bring it back up to $1.50. Now in year four, it pays a dividend of $1.40 and it announces that for the foreseeable future, we will make this current dividend grow at 2.75%. So in other words, we have stable growth after a period of turbulence. Now if you recall how to do this, what we're going to do here is we are going to have the horizon value. Now the horizon value at year four will be the dividend at year four grown one period, $1.40 times one plus the growth rate, which is 2.75%, which is 0 0.0275. That's the dividend one period later. And then we have to divide that by the market's required rate of return on the equity, uh, which is 0 0.08. Five zero minus the G, which is the point zero two seven five. So in other words, it's the D four where it stabilizes times one plus the growth rate over the required return minus the growth rate.
I'll let you get that down. And now we crank on. We're going to have a dollar forty, one point four zero times one plus the point zero two seven five. So in other words, that will be the dividend one more period, divided by what the formula tells us, the R, the quantity R point zero eight five minus the G, which is 0 0.0275, close the parenthesis. And that will drag us out. The horizon value is $25.01. Oh, I, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I put seven and the five didn't read. Wait. Seven, five. Insert five. It's not going to change the number very much at all, but 2502. Yeah. So, in other words, the horizon value is $25.02. Now, in order to get the problem finished, we use an app that's not supposed to be used for it, but it works in the calculator. Apps Finance, and we're going to use the NPV. The first thing we want to do is give it the discount rate, which is 8.5 percent. Remember, this is an app, so you put in the percent itself. Don't put in the decimal version. It kills me because a lot, of, a lot of the mistake is the student knows exactly what to do, but just by almost by natural uh, mechanics puts in the decimal, and that's will kill it. Okay, 8.50, comma. Now you put it in a zero here because we're not talking about capital expenditure. That's where that is. Now, don't forget to put in the comma. And then we're going to open braces, and we're going to say, that's essentially saying, calculator, start <coughs> counting years. So in the first year, we have $1.25, comma. In the second year, we have a dollar. In the third year, we have the $1.50, now in the fourth year, we have the dividend of $1.40 plus what the value of the stock will be at the horizon, which in this case will be $25.02. And close the parentheses, close the brace, I'm sorry, then close the parentheses, and there's your Uncle Bob. $22.35 and $22.24. And that number is the horizon value? No, that is the intrinsic value now. You've got the problem finished. The horizon was that 25 bucks. Now, in a case, in, yeah. Can you show me how to do that on Excel? <laughs> You're being difficult, aren't you? <laughs> Year dividend. Year one, two, three, four. Okay. So I'm trying to think. There are a couple of different ways I can do this.
1.50 and then 25 uh, 1.40 Now, I'm going to put over here discount rate and growth rate over here. And I'm trying to think of the fast, the most efficient way to pull the trick that I want to pull here. The discount rate is 8.5%, and the growth rate. Growth growth rate is 2.75%. Let me think of the most efficient way to do this. I think I'm going to attack it like this. Horizon value. Some value. And that would be equal to that number times one plus that number divided by discount rate minus growth rate. Okay, so now I'm going to correct this formula. equals 1.40 plus that number right there. I th oh, shut up. I, you're always criticizing me. Oh, for God's sake. Yes, I've got a circular reference in here. B5. Okay, so I'm going to take $1.40. Uh, so it gets rid of the circular there. Are you happy now? Okay, so now. Wait, sure did. Oh, one point. There it is. I'm sorry. I wasn't prepared for this question. Okay, so now I can say current price, and I can take. If I'm thinking right, I should be able to say equals the present value. Nope, I have to use NPV. NPV of the rate, comma, this mess right here. Is that what I got? Turn off on me, why don't you? Yeah, it's a little different, but it's the same. Say it. I could highlight it. No, not, Excel. Not, not in Excel. The NPV, you have to add that separately. Yeah, go ahead. Why did you switch year four? What I did was, I, see, it was bitching at me. So what I did was, in year four, okay, fine. It's the dividend plus the horizon value. So that when Excel sees that year four, I don't have to say there are two pieces. It's all there for them. Now, by the way, on the exam, the, I would probably put a range, any answer between $22 and $22.50 is okay, because there could be rounding error, or as you saw, I forgot to put in that last stupid little five. So a minor error, you should be able to still get full credit for it. And that is... The last of what I have to say about the numerical questions. I gave you the 11 that will be, the 12 that will be there, and all of the other details along the way. Now, it's your turn for questions to me. Yes. Really? 
You can kiss my ass. Give me a second here. Let me go through one more time. Hang on. I should have just pulled up the... I did the holding period net present value. Future value, present value. Foreseeable. Long. Price and yield. Holding period return. Yeah. Okay. Car loan and effective rate. You know, I, I now I'm beginning to think there actually are. 11. Well, I'll be darned. There were 11, and I was right to begin with. Foreseeable future. Yeah. There's your horizon value problem. Net present value. Don't forget your salvage value on an NPV problem, by the way. Oh, I know what it is. I might give you a stupid Petrix question. Show me you know how to use a CAPM. Give you a risk-free rate, give you a market rate, a, uh, and a beta, and you find me the, return, the expected return to it. I might do that just to beef up the exam, make it look really butch. Uh, I'm expecting uh, the uh, CAPM, risk-free. Uh, the expected return to a stock is a risk-free rate plus beta times the expected return to the market portfolio minus the risk-free rate. In other words, beta of the stock times the market premium over risk-free. That's where that 12th one is. Yeah. What else do you want to ask me right now? Yeah. A rule 144 question, it could be part of a question. Which of these is false? Kind of thing. That gives me the opportunity. Well, if rule 144 stock is freely tradable, that would be a false statement kind of thing. In those, I can throw sort of like a potpourri of different finance statements and you have to find the one that is false or the one that's true among them. Those are actually nasty questions because, I mean, you've got to think about each one as a separate topic in uh, your answer. But I make up for it with some true and false questions. Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, of course there will be because there's 60 questions, but they'll all be something that has been addressed in a quiz or a midterm exam or I've talked about in class. And that reminds me, don't forget, I also will ask some questions about the Federal Reserve, which I haven't had on a quiz. The Federal Reserve, they won't be hard questions, but okay, which of these, are the, the tools, okay, what are the duties of the Federal Reserve? Something like what, the tools of monetary policy, in order from the least used to the most used, something like that. Remember that the Federal Reserve, as far as its duties are concerned, it regulates and supervises banks. But make sure you remember that they don't re regulate and supervise all banks. It's sort of a crazy quote of regulatory oversight. Okay, they also serve as a bank for, ba oh, by the way, regulates and supervises, who regulates, who supervises. They also serve as a bank for banks. And the big one, they conduct monetary policy. And the tools of monetary policy are 
the required reserve ratio, which is the least used. The next is the discount rate, which you just they just did one eight times a year about. But also remember that they target the federal funds rate. Don't let me catch you. The Federal Reserve sets the federal funds rate. That's false. They target it and then they attempt to make the federal funds rate go to where they want it. But they don't set it. And then the third one, the 800-pound gorilla that happens all the time, the open market operations, the OMOs. I will not ask you to, I will not ask you a detailed question about how OMOs are done. Take a class from me in macroeconomics and you'll be, you'll, you'll want to kill yourself after we've gone through how it actually works. It's buying and selling treasury bills and all that with the banks and the Fed. And it's even crazier than that these days. But yeah. Now, also, and by the way, that video is absolutely, it's like, what, 10, 15 minutes there in Reginet in plain English. It actually just goes through what I said in that lecture, really. I see that about 40 people have watched it out of my 300 students so far, so you need to have a look at that. It's a very, it's animated, it's fun. Uh, now, also, agency. Make sure you understand the agency dilemma and agency costs. And you absolutely, I guarantee you'll have a question, at least one, on fiduciary duty. That PowerPoint presentation goes through everything I did in the lectures. Just go through it, cruise through it. Everything about agents and principles, vicarious liability, uh, monitoring and enforcement, the costs, the agency costs, the five agency costs, fiduciary duty, when does it happen, under what circumstances, and what are the three pillars of agents of fiduciary duty. Anything else you have for me? Yeah. Oh, God, yes, I will have a question. Thank you. On the, uh, that time frame from 1960 to the 1980s. I'll do that again. We have just one or two. One. You need to know history, but I don't want you to be scared by it. I want you to still be happy about the future. No, I don't. But, yeah. Yeah. Will it be the Gerald Ford question? Well, he won't be the answer. He wasn't even what he was president. Uh, but uh, it will be the one where I went through from Eisenhower. Okay, who came after Eisenhower? For God's sake. <laughs> Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask. Kennedy. Yeah, Kennedy. Who came after Kennedy? I am not a crook. Yes, Nixon. And who, oh no, no, God, quit it. What, who came after Kennedy? Johnson. And then, tricky, and then who came after Nixon? Ford. And after Ford came? Carter. And after Carter came? Reagan. Okay, got it. But you have to know what was character what characterized each of those. So the question, yeah, go ahead. But you're not going to ask us the order of the presidents. What should we know about the historical timeline? Like I said, you should know what was the major major events. For example, Nixon, OPEC oil embargo, wage and price controls, Johnson, guns and butter. We'll blow the hell out of Southeast Asia to kill the communists, and we will provide, and we will wage a war on poverty at home. Kennedy, what can I say? The Camelot 
Kennedy, uh, the space program, Kennedy, the initial entry into Vietnam with advisors, then uh, after Nixon, Ford, whip inflation now, Carter, the moral equivalent of war, but then he turned nasty and appointed Paul Volcker, who, who cracked down on the money supply and finally ended the inflation. And then Reagan, who took over because everyone blamed Carter for everything, even though he was the one who had put us through the pain to get out of what had been going on. Yes. The moral equivalent of war, that was Jimmy Carter. Yeah, meow. And what was the one for Ford? Uh, whip it, whip it, whip it now. Whip inflation now. <laughs> Thinking Devo there for a minute. Yeah. Carter, he stopped the, he faced the stagflation and he appointed the Federal Reserve chairman who killed off the inflation, which also smashed the economy because he had to drain the money supply and that drove interest rates through the roof and put us into a stagnation. So it was called stagflation. Go. Eisenhower, well, Eisenhower, he had stable growth not a lot of domestic programs, stay out of conflicts overseas, no tax cuts that his Republican fellow conservatives wanted. He was just a stable guy. Not sexy at all. Okay? Yeah, Reagan took over and we had years, uh, well, he had some pretty awesome scandals, but I, won't, I didn't get into that. Okay. That's all I have for you today. I will see you at the final exam. I will be in my office tomorrow and Friday from 11 till about 1.30.